there's no reminder that it's happening, right? It's like your gym membership that you never use. Excuse me. <laughs> I have two children, okay? <laughs> I'll go back to the gym in no time. There's a Peloton behind me as we record. <laughs> Live for the Mundangerous Shared Content Allowance version 1.1 in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 336 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're getting back into our usual discussion format with a conversation about where the RPG industry is headed and all of this open game licensed drama of late. Now, you may be thinking we're late to the discussion. No, we have we waited. We're right on time. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we knew things would change. Uh, and you know what? If you're listening to this a year after this episode came out, you don't care about what happened in the last couple of weeks. Um, we're here to sort of take uh, the macro view. Yeah, there was uh, there was nothing to be made by making pointless prognostications when everybody was mad at Wizards of the Coast. So here we are. Wizards of the Coast has agreed to release a bunch of stuff under Creative Commons, uh, securing the future of an open game and license for D&D, which is what's important here, right? Is that the community can continue to use D&D content, create their own products, create their own games, etc., cetera, uh, in the way that we have more or less been able to do since third edition. And um, I guess, incidentally, with slightly more flexibility than we had previously, but ultimately, like that's not what matters right the the ins and outs of the details uh what does matter is we'll be able to do that stuff there's no threat of you know self-published products and things like that becoming uh problematic wizards of the coast uh, uh well hasbro the parent company wizards of the coast right like between the two of them they are like committing to sixth edition will have the same kind of third-party product support that fifth and third editions had okay so this isn't necessarily our usual fare, right? But let's talk a bit about like why, why is this important to the industry, to people listening to this show who are trying to look for game advice? You know, like why why care about this? Uh, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it's kind of tough to care. Like, and we're content creators, right? Like, we right. publish things. It could like have we, affected we us. Have, yes, we've, right. Yes, it could have. Like, it could have affected our the podcast itself, but also just things that we've written and things that we've sold and things like that. Right. So like we have a very, 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 very small contribution to the overall community, but it could have directly affected us. But as a player, like what you care about is, is great stuff out there for me to buy to make my game better. Right. And does the OGL or, you know, some type of open license ensure that I have the best materials available to me to have fun and to play better games. Right. And I think, you know, for quite a few years now, we've sort of been living in maybe a golden age of like third party content where, yes, you have, you know, your cobalt presses and your Paizos and, and whatnot who have for a long time been producing high quality content specifically for Dungeons and Dragons, but also for other games. Right. Uh, but, you know, with the rise of the, the Dungeon Masters Guild, you have all of these like small content creators you know anyone who you know opens up a spreadsheet and says maybe, maybe i can build some monsters and can release it for free or for money and like there there's been this surge in additional content that's been available and that's that has given a platform for people who otherwise may may not have tried to dabble in creating for this industry to to let them do that and i think I wouldn't say we're spoiled. I would say this is this is what you want a robust uh, creative economy to look like, or, or it's closer to to what it should look like, right? And and the proposed rules for the OGL, the proposed changes, were a huge threat to that. I mean, basically, they're it would have essentially shut it down. Yeah, it would have shut it down for any type of major funding, right? Like no no major company could have afforded to take the risk to invest in the ecosystem, like self publishers. Yeah, probably still would have done their thing. But that's, you know, like there's diamonds in the rough, but there's also a lot of rough in the self-published space, right? Yeah, and I, and I would say if you didn't have like sort of like the big fish in that pond, right, 
um, to even get people to step outside of like official Wizards of the Coast branded fifth edition D&D source books, right? Then the market becomes much smaller for small creators as well. Right. And that's so and that's the thing too. you, you, you know, <laughs> talk about the size of the fish, right? Like Wizards of the Coast and D&D are a Leviathan, right? Every other RPG product, except for maybe Vampire and Call of Cthulhu are significantly smaller. Uh, those are also much, much, much smaller, but are also fish. Uh, and then if you look at what is like hanging off the OGL and all of the D&D like sort of sphere right like you basically have cobalt press and darrington press right and maybe um uh matthew colville like his uh studio there's not much else everything else is small right so like when we talk about like the power imbalance here like wizards of the coast eats everything <laughs> right and anyone uh, there are some big companies that do fine in a niche, right? And then there are lots of little little creators that are making ends meet, you know, maybe making a living, but like aren't scaling to the degree that they're, you know, really meaningful commercial concerns, right? They're hobbyists that are getting a little monetization out of it. Yeah, and I think even just talking about size is extremely relative when we're when we're talking about this industry, right? Like I don't actually know how big RPGs is now, but I remember maybe six or seven years ago, which isn't that long ago, we we did some research and it was like a few tens of millions of dollars for the entire industry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now I think it is, I think it is significantly bigger now, um, but that still makes it very small. And when when you're looking at like the reason why these things are happening. Why is it that Hasbro, Wizards of the Coast parent company, is trying to make changes? It's because they're looking at the our hobby, right, the industry, um, as an underutilized resource. They want to figure out right. how to make more money out of their their IP and their property, which means more money out of us. Right. So the the question though is like it. In relation to like, oh, I don't know, like other toy brands or other entertainment properties, movies, you know, things like that. This is such a small industry, such a small mm-hmm. player. But when you're looking at, you know, corporate bottom lines and, uh, you know, quarterly stock prices, then you're going to get, and I think we're going to see, we're going to continue to see Hasbro trying things out to see what i mean what they can get away with is maybe a little too harsh what what the community is willing to pay for i don't think that's too harsh at all uh, <laughs> that might be too harsh for wizards of the coast i don't think it's too harsh for hasbro at all right from the moment that they said that like esports was the future of D, i think it was very clear that they don't know or care what the product is what they see is untapped revenue and so the way to get that is to make people pay pay more for what they're already getting. Well, I mean, that's certainly what's happened in other entertainment industries to begin with. Like 20 years ago, I remember people insisting that there's absolutely no way that they were going to pay a monthly fee to listen to their own music, right? But now, like, nobody has their own music. We all pay a subscription. And obviously, D&D Beyond was sort of like the, you know, the first step in, in that direction. But we could be looking at a future where like all of the rules are things that you have to subscribe to in order to, you know, officially legally use them. Well, so, so let's talk about that. Cause that is like clearly the direction that the, the D and D six business model was headed. Right. And I think them buying D and D beyond made that clear. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Which, which isn't the first time they've done that. Right. Because they built fourth edition on the back of, of online character creators and things like that, that were really good tools. And then I think that ended in like literally tragedy. Um, cause that, right. It was like a single developer who, uh, who passed away and then they they just couldn't support the tools anymore. Um, but so like, you know, they're, they're clearly taking another bite of that Apple and people paid for that subscription. And that was a great service, right. For really, cause it simplified a complicated rule set. 
and it was something that you needed in order to really take advantage of all the content. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it made a complicated rule set usable, especially near the end of its life cycle, where it was basically impossible sure. for one human to like keep all the rules in their head. Yes. So two things have changed since then. One is those types of ease of use tools, those kind of community driven tools are just created by the community uh, in uh, like not just D&D, right? Like just across games. Right. You look at you look at Path Builder, right? It's just it's free or five dollars once. Sure. You look at any video game has a wiki that's community supported that has a ton of information about it, right? It's seeded by the, the developers and then maintained by communities, right? Like that's expected now is that like resources about your game, about your product are just available. And if there's quality of life things, a modding community or or somebody will make those fixes on behalf of behalf of the devs right or you know to benefit the community so the devs don't have to and that's the business model of gaming <laughs> right like this is the little weird niche you know because it's the analog gaming that's sort of bridging the gap to digital um but like i i don't know do they think that the future of this is stop publishing books which are expensive and, you know, have supply chain issues from China and shipping costs or and just, you know, sell you a subscription to D&D Beyond for all the rules and you're getting a season pass, right? Like, is that the intent here? Like, are they trying to clamp down on that stuff? You know, like, are they? Um, I, mean, I think that's definitely an intent. Who wants to publish books? Who wants to be in the industry of like physical paper books that you have to deliver to places, you know? And I, there's a lot of lip service paid to like the friendly local gaming store from Wizards and, and Hasbro, but I don't think they actually care if they have product to sell. I think they would much rather be able to do, you know, to instantly sell you a subscription and then know that you have to pay every single month for the rest of your life or else you lose, you know, years and years of your library. As players, what we should care about is, is the game great? Is... The community around it, great. Are the tools available, great. And if any of those things aren't there, then why am I paying for it, right? Like, it's not my responsibility to fund their bottom line. Mm -hmm. um, and, and by the way, like, I don't think the game of D&D &D is as important to the value of D&D &D as they think it is, <laughs> right? Like, You mean like the rule set? The rules themselves are just not that important to its like cultural value, right? Like the rules are not what made a uh, critical role a huge like ordeal. I mean, in some ways right? they're, the they're rules, an impediment. Right, well, sure. Uh, the rules are not what made Stranger Things take off, right? And and re like relaunch that renaissance for them. The rules are not going to be a factor in what makes the D&D &D movie fail or succeed. <laughs> Right. Like, like the game itself is not that important. The fact that people love the game is what's important and all of the accessories and all of the things that they sell around it. Right. All of the like T-shirts and novels and miniatures and, you know, video games that they license and movies and all of that stuff. Right. Like the that's how they monetize the cultural cachet of D&D &D with D&D &D players like buying three books from three people at a table of six like is not the way that you make money and it's not the way that wizards has made money on this brand in a long time there was a backlash to these changes to the ogl right and i think there has been in some arenas a misunderstanding of why that happened right like gamers don't have a problem being marketed to or sold to gamers don't have a problem shelling out money we want to pay money for things that we like Right, like, I I want to pay money to go see a good D and D movie, not the terrible D and D movies that have come prior to this. Right, I did pay money to go see those, and I was sad uh, about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't thrilled about my three dollars I paid to rent the D and D movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, but it's it's feeling like you're you're getting something for your money, right? Feelings like you're you're getting something that has longevity and that is helping you to tell the kind of stories or to relive the kind of stories or whatever, right? Or to build that rapport at your table or, you know, however you you experience the the game or the games that you used to play or the games that you, you know, are excited to play in the future. And 
I mean, the OGL changes came across as extremely in bad faith, not necessarily to the OGL, but changes to like the business model, the subscription, whatever, that are designed to increase Hasbro's Hasbro's profit are necessarily always going to be met that way. They just need to be built around the experience that gamers are looking for. That was, so I was naive uh, to backtrack a little bit. When they first said that we need to better monetize D&D, I was like, wow, I completely agree. You don't sell enough stuff that's branded for D&D. What I didn't think they were going to do is try to monetize the stupid game that underpins all of that. Right, <laughs> like, right. Let's like, gr- let's grab the dollar fifty from from the, the poor tiny content creator. <laughs> exactly. Like, let me squeeze the friendly local gaming store that could barely stay in business for another couple points. Like, why? Why are you doing this? Like, you could sell more D&D t-shirts in a heartbeat if you made cool D&D t-shirts. I know. Joe Manganiello's doing it. Just to go to movies, because those are such lucrative properties, right? You can look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which, you know, 15 years ago was extremely neat. Like, not the comic books were extremely niche at the time, right? And what it took was people who were actually fans of the product, who understood why people read comic books in the first place and why people resonated with these characters to put them in a format that, one, the fans enjoyed, but then also that had larger mass market appeal. I haven't seen the new mm-hmm. D&D movie yet. I don't know. I've heard good things about it. Maybe this is moving in the direction, but really it it just takes actually understanding the fan base rather than looking at numbers and saying, where, where is it that there's a dollar that we can funnel back to us? Create new dollars. And I think that's where a lot of that friction comes from. And frankly, it's not my responsibility as a customer to care, right? Like... When you raise the price, my question is, do I need this at the new price? Mm-hmm. And increasingly in D&D, like personally, as somebody who's played D&D for a long time, I don't. Now, unfortunately, as a content creator who has a close affinity to D&D, maybe I do. Right. <laughs> you know, but like if I'm somebody else, like, I don't know, I take a long, hard look at Pathfinder or I take a long, hard look at Black Flag or I take a long, hard look at, you know, whatever game is coming out of Darrington Press next. Right. Or or uh, Pelgrane. Right. Like what is going on with um, with 13th Age and, and how will that be modernized and, and updated? Like I I can play a fantasy game in any system, you know, like the the D&D-ness of it is extremely small to me if I'm an old D&D player. Um I bring that to every game I play now, you know, <laughs> like, like that's like just that's that's part of of the DNA of our games is, is having played D&D. I don't need D&D anymore. Every restaurant is Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> so so as sort of a segue, then let's talk a bit about some of these new licenses and you know how they might affect the landscape. Well, I mean, D&D Beyond is the I think the biggest concern, right, is like. What is D&D Beyond going to cost players to play 6th edition? Is that a monthly subscription? Is that a buy the book digitally and you get the content the way it currently is, right? Because the way the way it works today is if you buy the content on D&D Beyond, you you own it in perpetuity or you know, you never own anything, but you know what I mean? You lease it in perpetuity. Um, you know, you buy it once, you can share it out to other members of your group or in your campaign and, and whatnot, and everybody can share that content. Um, so one person buys the book online and you can use it. Does that become, you know, you pay a monthly fee and all of the new content that comes out will be available to you in D&D Beyond? Do you pay a monthly fee and then also you know, that only gives you the core books or the, you know, the core rules. And then you have to buy the add-ons, right? Are we on like a season pass DLC model? Uh, I know you don't play enough video games anymore, but that's yeah. the, that's my favorite way to do it. Uh, of a video game monetization. I buy the base game for $60. I buy the expansion for $30. I buy the DLC for $15 and I buy the season pass, which gives me more DLC on a timeline for 25 And suddenly my $60 game cost me 150 bucks. I think it would be stupid for them not to try to move in a direction where you just pay a simple once a month fee and you get everything that you want, and you do not need to pick a la carte. You do not need to weigh like, oh, do I want to spend eleven ninety nine on this particular book? Like, 
they want to they should want to be in a position where gamers are not judging every release they are just getting every release and are super happy that there's a new release and don't notice the 1599 coming out of their account because it's paid automatically and there's just there's no reminder that it's happening right it's like your gym membership that you never use that excuse me <laughs> i have two children okay <laughs> I'll go back to the gym in no time. And yet, you know, I'm not pissed at them that I'm still paying for a gym membership because I don't see it. It's invisible. There's a Peloton behind me as we record. <laughs> <laughs> and it is an excellent drying rack. And there is there is a towel draped over it. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, if if you're worried about people being mad at you every time that you ask them for money, don't ask them for money. You know, I mean, that's exactly what I would do, like get people to sign up for the thing. And then eventually they forget about it. And look, is it too much trouble to try to cancel my subscription? Yes, of course it is. I don't know. Are D&D players going to go for that? Right. Like you, your, your fan base has like the, the community, the, the industry has been selling books. Right. And the book is the content driver. Right. The book, the release, that is the industry right now. So like, can you bring along, uh, the majority of players of RPGs to a new model that's more like a video game than it is like a, you know, a library shelf book. Well, instead of thinking it like a video game, what if we thought about it like music, right? Like music used to be packaged in albums. You had an artist work on something for a year or two or more, and then it had all this production around it and it was packaged in, you know, probably the most expensive part was the packaging. And then it was sold to people in, in a group, a group of songs. And you like, listen to them and get together or whatever. And that's that's how RPG books are released now for the most part. You know, we have a theme and like, yeah, we threw together 13 adventures or whatever that all are kind of like loosely related. Those could all be sold separately. You know, they they don't need to be grouped together. You You could release one, like stats for one race at a time, right? Um, I guess those could be sold a la carte, but it could also just be a a constant stream, just like music is released. I dropped one track, a single track, right? Nobody cares about the album anymore. Nobody even knows what album this this song was going to be on. Tell me you don't know how the music industry works without telling me. Because yes, you might you yes, you release singles before you release the album. The album still absolutely drives like the the big three, big four labels. But from the consumer, like the album but from the the consumer perspective. Right, like the subscription drives your the consumer. The, like the, the yeah, just, tell, tell just a Taylor Swift fan that up. the album doesn't matter. Yeah, but tell the Taylor Swift fan that an album doesn't matter. Like albums are still absolutely what drive the artist. Well, okay, but then the Taylor Swift fan is like the whale, right? The person who spends a lot of money. Which maybe maybe we, the entire industry needs to be floated on the backs of whales. There are other entertainment industries that are right, but I think you're like average general D and D fan. I mean, certainly your D and D fan. It, these days doesn't really care that like what's the latest book the the heist book came out right like i don't even remember the name of the heist book i know that there was a heist book the content that was released in fifth edition like the content strategy for fifth edition right was very different from the other editions and that was something we complained about was that every book was supposed to have something for everybody right which meant that every book kind of had not what you wanted in it right it definitely and, has a bunch of stuff that you don't care about yes Right. And it's a huge right. difference from like complete adventurer. Right. 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 But so, so again, though, like if you contrast that now, if you look at like my cousins, right, who started playing D and D in, in high school, they're, they're freshmen in college now. Okay. So they'll, they like, they've been playing D and D for maybe two years, five yeah. E only all they've ever played, uh, you know, like got into it with a group of their friends or whatever. And like, that's, you know, like that's their exposure to it. Um, they don't know what half of the product line of D&D is, right? They know what they needed to play. Um, I don't know that they get excited about something new being released. However, as, you know, Zoomers who are used to playing games on Steam and whatever, I think they would totally understand if, oh, this is a subscription and I just get new stuff added to it every month that I don't really have to think about, and the game just keeps growing for me, mm-hmm. right? Like, right. and I don't care that, oh, this came from the adventure book titled this, 
right? Or it came from the Volo's Guide to Monsters or whatever, right? What I care about is I went to make my new character. Oh, these were the options available to me. I don't know if I've ever seen that spell before, but I also, I don't care. It's available. It's legal for me to play with. I can add it to my character sheet and it works. So maybe that's just a different customer. I think that actually has to be the direction that everything is moving in in general, because like, like you said, the paradigm now is every release has quote unquote something for everyone. But what that means is I'm trying to interact with like a subsystem, the sidekick rules or whatever. What book is that in? I, I don't even know. Right. I, How do we I played with them? I don't even know. It's Tasha's and I only know that because we've been using it so much for like our actual play. But like I would have no idea. I would need to go to D&D Beyond or Google and say like what book are the sidekick rules in? Because it doesn't fit any particular theme. They're just kind of like thrown in the end of a book that had a bunch of other stats in it. Well, I, okay. So I don't know that Dungeon Master Guide 2 or Dungeon Master Guide 3 was any more transparent <laughs> on fair. where you would yeah. go for it. But in a prior edition, at least you would know it's in one of the DMGs, right? Right. Yeah. If you had all of them. And, you know, I, I want a new character class. I don't remember if Monk was released in PHB 2 or 3, but it is in one of them. Yes. Right. Or, you know, like I might not know exactly which set was in the like which set of prestige classes was in the, you know, absolute adventures guide or God, what were they called? Uh, Doesn't matter. Like point is like, I don't know exactly which book they're in, but I know it's in a book that has something themed around the class that I'm looking for. Right. So if I go check all the fighter books, I will probably find it. The complete fighter one and two will probably have the thing I'm looking for. Right. Um, And if not, maybe I don't need it. Because it says it's complete, yeah, exactly. right there in the box. Exactly. <laughs> but like, I want to play a fighter. I'll just go buy the fighter book. Okay, that makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's a very simple thing. It makes sense in a content subscription model too, right? What it doesn't make sense is take bits of the complete fighter, spread it out across 13 things that have unrelated names, mm-hmm. and try to get me to buy each and every one of them. Okay, well, if you're going to do that, I guess I'll just subscribe, so maybe they're moving us in that model without us knowing it right, by conditioning right. us since 2014 that this is the way that we have to buy our stupid games now. I mean, you know, you need an online character creation tool because we made character creation so difficult and you need 17 different books that it's just easier to use our online tool, I suppose. In fairness, that was also a product of... Uh, Dungeon Magazine and Dragon Magazine <laughs> having like legal content as the sole expansion, right? Like that's the the white dwarf problem, <laughs> right? And and look to their credit, D and D has really pulled back on like the amount of releases that we were getting in you know for third edition and fourth edition, right? But now we're what year is it? <laughs> we're like ten years in, right? Eight, uh, yeah, eight years in, ten years in. There, there's yeah, there's no way there can't be too much content okay so we're talking out of both sides of our mouth with that though because i don't think we've actually been genuinely excited about like a release for D that we've reviewed in like i don't know maybe tasha's but like most of them like at least my response to it has been well you don't really have a choice because there's not much else out there and yeah, there's a lot of filler in here, stuff that most people won't care about or is very niche, but like there's some cool stuff here. And if you want the cool stuff, you're stuck. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I can't then turn around and complain that like, ah, oh, their release strategy had too much content. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you can bo- <laughs> you can release too much bad content. <laughs> I mean, that's the issue. It's a quality problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like they're, they're not releasing the content I care about. Right. And that, that's my issue. But like. I don't know, like more adventures in like weird niche applications of playing D&D ways that D&D doesn't play well. (laughs) It's just like, I don't know. Yeah, I think the last release I was excited for was whichever book it was that had the alternative options for the Ranger. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, okay, so we look, we could could complain about D&D like for the rest of the episode. But one thing I do want to get at is like there is a not a proliferation. There are more open game licenses that, you know, were released or announced in response to, you know, the initial changes that 
Wizards was going to make. And I think when we're talking about like where does the industry go, like what what does the future look like, the the business model aside, I I wonder how much longer D D stays the the central tent pole of this industry. You know, look, we've had this conversation before, like previously, it seemed like, you know, with, with Pathfinder breaking off um, after the announcement of fourth edition, right? Like it, it seemed like, oh, maybe the industry was finally going to bifurcate. And then, you know, Critical Role came along and was using Dungeons and Dragons. And now pretty much every new player in the industry plays Dungeons and Dragons, right? But is there a point at which maybe eventually that changes? There, there are always rumors that Critical Role will stop using D and D at some point. Uh, that is, uh, that's a problem. I, frankly, that's a contract negotiation that Wizards should be handling, <laughs> right? Like, but I, you know, sure, that's the marketing side of it. Um, at the end of the day, like, there's 50 years of D and D cachet built up, right? There's several generations of like parents and their children uh who have played this game right and and have that affiliation to it like that's like it's almost like predicting like tesla's going to destroy ford and gm together you know it's like well, what were they doing just sitting around doing nothing this whole time like what did you think like why did you think that was going to happen like you know what i mean like it's like sure and don't get me wrong like i hope that you know, Cobalt Press and Black Flag end up making another Pathfinder, right? Which is to say, like, a legitimate, fully supported, community-driven, um, large-scale alternative to D&D that plays that type of game equivalently, right? Or better. Um, like, I really hope that that becomes a three-horse race or a four-horse race when it comes to, like, the fantasy hack-and-slash genre. Um like I, I hope that's successful, but in reality, like the RPG industry is still just D and D, right? And everything else is extremely small in comparison. I don't know why that changes, <laughs> like, like not in any meaningful way. Because again, like even if people stop playing D and D six, right? The people who play D and D two and three and five, and I'm sure there's fourth edition players somewhere are still going to play what they play. And the 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 brand cachet isn't changing, so the money from all the other things that D&D is isn't going to change, right? You might not sell spell cards, but you can still sell minis, right? You can still sell dice. You'll still sell like all of those types of of add-ons, the t-shirts, the movies, the video games that are, you know, completely game agnostic, right? It doesn't matter how big your neckbeard is, like you know what I mean? Like, I just like, it just feels to me like D and D is ingrained as a brand much more than it needs to be as a game going forward. I mean, I think, I think you're right in that. Like how would something else usurp D and D? And I think sort of, sort of like tying back to our conversation about like, you know, big fish helping small fish in this, industry like having D&D as this juggernaut is useful for smaller games in that D&D brings people in At it's least, the rising tide lifts all boats exactly yeah. right like how many people would play blades in the dark which is an excellent game if they were not initially introduced to rpgs in the first place by D&D well okay so lots of people will make that will argue against you and i think that is probably your point is probably correct but regardless like everybody who touches an rpg is brought into an rpg in some way because of D, &D mm -hmm. right like maybe not directly maybe through cultural assimilation or or some touch you know some second or third degree touch point right but like there is nobody who just stumbled upon rpgs because they were like Oh, you know what would be fun is to play pretend for a while. <laughs> like, oh, and get some funny shaped dice to resolve things. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter what game you landed in first. Like, D&D &D had its hallmark somewhere along the line.
Right. And and like I don't think either of us is saying that like this is how it should be, but this is the way that it is. And if we're talking about like what will the industry look like in the future, like this is the reality of it. If I had to place a bet, I would say that most of the competitors are probably going to end up folding into D&D 6, right? And like there were there were good ideas, there were like cool concepts and the best pieces of them will be folded into supplements for D&D 6. Like if I had to place a bet. I hope that isn't the case. Well, if you look at the uproar over the proposed OGL changes, right? Like as soon as Wizards backpedaled a bit and was like, okay, no, 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 don't worry about it. Like we're not going to change things. It completely died down, right? I know. It was instantly, oh, good guy D&D again, huh? <laughs> cool, 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 great. I don't have to change anything. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> let's, let's talk about uh, a company that is near and dear to my hate uh, and heart, <laughs> Games Workshop. Because as you know, I have, uh, you know, long been a Games Workshop customer, uh, which is to say victim. (laughs) But, you know, like if you look at like Games Workshop and Warhammer 40K, they release basically a full set of new faction rules every month, worst case every other month, that completely upend the game, right? And they roll like an edition does not release every faction at once it releases a set of core rules usually one or two factions with it you use your old rules until you get your updated book right so there's a lot of like there's a lot of confusion in terms of like what's legal right now like what what is my current model where do i find my rules um the rules are often bad like often poorly written poorly conceived poorly balanced they need updates they need errata they need uh balance patches which they now have a function of releasing online they're impossible to reference so there are a whole suite of tools that have been created by the community in order to frankly steal their content to make the game playable right because there's no open license for for games workshop um and if you want to stay on top of every book you are buying a 50 dollar book every single month in addition to new models that are released with their rules in a magazine in white dwarf and you know all the novel line and everything else like staying on top of the franchise is impossible but gw makes a ton of money right like i think at one point during the pandemic they were the most profitable or like highest profit margin of any company on the british stock exchange the london stock exchange so then let me ask you this if they make their customers so angry why do they stay and if are they a good model for hasbro should they just say i don't care if our customers are angry as long as you pay us uh i mean they still make beautiful models right (laughs) like that's at the end of the day like and they they have lore that is like is appealing to people i mean i don't own any models and i love the lore i mean not love but you know what i mean i like i enjoy the lore (laughs) So, you know what I mean? Like, like there's two things, like the game itself and Games Workshop has long, and it's ironic given that it's their name, but has long said that they're not a games company, right? <laughs> like they're a models company. Um, they, they sell a game in order to sell models. And you can't, you cannot, you cannot play the game without the models. D&D isn't a model game. There has never been any like widespread embrace of third party models and proxies for games workshop games people do it they 3d print that sort of stuff right but it's generally frowned upon it's a luxury item right like it's a luxury hobby if you have the money for it you get to play and if you don't have the money for it you don't and there's there's an element of that you know like magic the gathering yeah or you know being a i don't know like a porsche owner or something like going to a porsche meetup i guess i don't know like no beamers allowed like i now, I'm skeptical that this model would be translatable for RPGs though. One because like the one of the one of like the draws of RPGs is like you, all you need is your imagination and maybe a pencil, right? Right, and dice, right? That's if the whole even, point. I mean, it's you supposed even, to be you cheap don't even to need get in. dice. It's supposed to be cheap to get in. That's the point. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's and then, supposed and then, to be the creative hobby. Also, Warhammer 40K is competitive, right? Like I think part of the allure is I got new rules, and if I can understand them faster than my opponent can, then I have a leg up in 
this combat they're about to have. Whereas, yeah, when you say competitive, you don't mean like tournament competitive. You mean like there's a winner and a loser. Right. It is not a cooperative game. Yes. Yes. Very much so. There is a winner and a loser in in a game of Warhammer 40k. Some would say both players are losers, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) only when I'm at the table, baby. (laughs) But you know, for most RPGs, it's a cooperative communal game, right? Like there's, there's no like drive to make sure that we have the latest and greatest of anything because we all just agree amongst ourselves, whatever we want to use, right? We don't, we don't need to go reference errata if we don't want to. Correct. Exactly. Unless there's a problem, I don't need to go find a fix. Right. Right. Uh, there's there's no there's no risk of play. that's the other thing is like, you know, how many times do you watch a stream or listen to an actual play or what, what you know, hear a story about a game in which they have clearly played the rules incorrectly every and single time they do not care. Because it worked in their game and they enjoyed it or their audience enjoyed it or whatever. And, you know, whether the audience is, is, you know, 100,000 people tuning in on Twitch or it's the four people who are sitting at the table playing the game in the moment, like the audience was happy. So. Do I need rules? Like, do I need to buy them in the first place? Like, (laughs) and I go back to do I need the game? Right. For D&D to matter, do I need the game? I mean, you need a game, right? Like for the most part, people aren't creating them in their own heads. Sure. But what that sort of signifies is once you are in, then you you need not go any further. Right. Like once you have learned whatever is the current game at the time that you got into RPGs, you can stop there. And I think in a lot of ways, a lot of us do. Right. Like I still Mm -hmm. compare every rule set to you know, second edition skills and powers in my head. You know, of every D and D rule set, or just every game. Basically, every game, right? Like, does it, is this going to give me? Is this going to give me the that experience, or a better experience, or a worse experience? Okay. Well, how did um, how did B gay do crimes hold up to skills and powers? It's good. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> when you and Jim ran off together, you know, mwah. In the Formula One car? (laughs) No beamers allowed. What I loved is that nobody in our our group knows what a Formula One car looks like. (laughs) So you just assumed it had two seats. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and. To come to some sort of like useful advice... (laughs) I think the useful advice here is like, just don't, right? Like, like separate your decisions from brand affinity, right? Like it's okay to like D&D without like buying the latest thing that they shove down your throat, right? It's okay to like RPGs and not play D&D. And it's okay, like if... Wizards of the Coast goes to a model that feels predatory or that is too expensive or that is, you know, whatever, like doesn't fit your lifestyle or budget or needs or whatever that you just play a different game. Right. Like and and if they if they go to a model that's awesome. Right. It's fifteen dollars to play and you get all the content forever and ever. Like it's okay to like D&D, too, you know, but like I just I, I have over i don't know what are we seven years into this podcast uh we're nine years into D uh fifth edition like i am just tired of being obligated by D, right and and if they're going to screw around with the cost and they're going to screw around with the products and the game is going to continue to like not really create the things i'm looking for i don't need it like we might continue making a podcast about D and D, but like I don't know that we need to keep playing D and D. You know, we could tell D and D stories in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think if you're trying to think about what you're going to do, both at your table and then like with your with your dollars, right? One, I would expect that we're going to be moving in a like more concrete, official, purposeful subscription. Model. I would expect that mm-hmm. you're going to need to be paying every single month some amount. And probably there'll be different tiers for different 
kinds of content. That would be my guess. So I would expect that to come. Um, figure out with yourself and with your budget, like what you're comfortable with. And then, you know, potentially future-proof your game by pur- purchasing what you need in whatever format that you need, right? Like I I see a day eventually when they're not publishing books. If you want books, get get books before you have to buy them, you know, secondhand for exorbitant prices mm-hmm. because of a limited print run, right? Um, I would also say like, if you want to put pressure on Hasbro, one, that's difficult, <laughs> you know, as a single consumer, but, you know, don't buy things that you don't like, right? Don't give them money for things that you don't appreciate. Do give them money and not just Hasbro, give, you know, everyone in the industry money for things that you like, right? Like if you like rules off the Dungeon Masters Guild, even if it's, you know, pay what you want, throw a few dollars someone's direction, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to buy dice, you want to buy a plushie, you know, you know a, a giant in the playground Christmas ornament or whatever, like buy those things. Absolutely. Buy the things that make you happy. Um, but then also like diversify, play different games. You know, you can love D&D, you can play D&D, it can be your main like game, but try different campaigns, run different games, right? Like in order for other games to flourish, there need to be people who run those games, people who understand those games well enough to run them for other people, to introduce them to other people. Do Mm. that and like having that diversity makes it easier to hold Hasbro and D&D to account. It makes D&D better by playing other games that aren't D&D, you know? (laughs) Well... Some would say that playing other games that weren't D&D is what made the end of D&D 5 so complicated. Look, Because everybody kept trying to make it into things it wasn't. Look, uh, And by some, I mean me. I said that. I just said that. (laughs) If everything goes according to plan, then we'll get all these great new rules in in different games, and then D&D will either buy them up or just uh, steal them wholesale, and then they'll all be in D&D. And, you know, every game will be D&D. Okay, perfect. We'll just make make the the D&D metaverse. Huh? How have we not seen a D and D cryptocurrency yet? God, I hope you didn't just speak that into existence. You take that wish back. I did. Yeah, I did. I did. I'm sorry. So if you just buy some Beyond coins, then you can use them. Uh, they're a utility token, which allows you to unlock D and D content on D and D Beyond. It's it couldn't be more simple, Ishan. They only increase in value. It's they're not an investment, but they're definitely an investment. <laughs> All right, so before we wrap this up, do you want to take a little bit of time to sort of ask for some of your feedback and maybe advice? Because, you know, in the course of this conversation, we, like Shane and I, have been talking about, like, what does this mean potentially for the kinds of things that we talk about on the podcast, right? Like, we are very tied to D&D, perhaps unintentionally, but like, that's who we are. A lot of you know us as, or came to us eventually, initially as like an Emberon podcast, right? Which is wholly owned mm-hmm. by Wizards of the Coast. And it's a thing that Keith Baker, creative Emberon has talked about, about like, what direction mm. does he go in now? Because like, he doesn't own Emberon, right? Right. Um, so, you know, one thing he has decided is he's going to continue to create content that can be used in Emberon, but he will also be creating content that can be used in a, setting agnostic way that sort of hits that same niche uh, but doesn't require him to be financially tied to Hasbro, Wizards of the Coast, and Dungeons and Dragons. And in the same way, like, you know, one third of our podcast is the Character Creation Forge, which builds characters in 5th edition D&D and then, you know, perhaps one day in 6th edition D&D. We could do other systems, but I do not want to have to have system mastery in 12 different systems. Existential crisis. I don't want to have system mastery in 6th edition, D&D, to be honest. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm pretty confident that I'll be good. Like, (laughs) I also don't really want to learn Pathfinder 2nd edition either. (sighs) So, like, if you take those two things out of it, I don't know where we go. But I knew, I do know that we are... Scraping the bottom of the barrel for not just ideas for the character creation forge, but uh, ideas of characters that will not just be repetition of things we've already done with very minor tweaks. I think I can keep coming up with ideas. 
but like it's also a time sink <laughs> in terms of like yeah. preparation for the podcast it probably takes longer to build a character for the forge than it does to write all the notes for a topic yeah yeah um yeah it used to be fast it, it was never be. that fast yeah. but remember when we started this podcast we did two characters per forge we oh both yeah brought one yeah yeah we, yeah, we was, each did one every week goodness um foolish. And and then at the at the same time, right? Like so, the other segment that we have, aside from the discussion, is the recap of a game. Now, it's not always D and D. Right now, it is D and D. But I, even I am thinking, like, if there are future, like, arcs of the Morning Glory campaign, which I think there probably will be, are those going to be played in Dungeons and Dragons? I don't know. Maybe not. They certainly don't have to be. So. You know, the, these are conversations that we're having. Like, we, so we would like to hear from you. Like, how how important is it for you that we either one have these segments, or two that these segments stay in the same iteration that they have been thus far? Especially for the character creation forge, right? Like D and D is lingua franca, mm -hmm. so it's tough to do character creation forge in another system because kind of everybody knows D and D. <laughs> uh, not everybody necessarily knows another system and uh, us included. Right. And the, well, the other systems that it would even work in, right? Like, you know, we're, we're not going to build PBTA characters for the, mo for the most part. Cause that's not, <laughs> it'll be eight, eight seconds. We're done. But like, I All like, right, we're gurpsing it. Right. Just God. straight gurps. <laughs> okay. We're a gurps podcast now. We are. It's we're universal. Podcast. Yeah. It is. It's right there on the tin. <laughs> Um, but like I like Pathfinder Second Edition. You know, we are uh, home group is currently playing a Pathfinder Second Edition like short arc. I do not want to build weekly characters in PF2. I don't want to build my own. In fact, I'm not building my own character right. in Pathfinder. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't touched the character creation rules at all. <laughs> I have not. I show up with a character sheet. <laughs> I ensure that I can shoot things with a, with a, I am a dwarf with a shotgun. That's what I care about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Megafauna Hunter is cool. Uh, you know, I just, I ask him what, what would make me more dwarfy or more shotgunny? And he chooses those for me and I don't have to know what I gave up. I just know what I do. Sometimes ignorance is bliss. Um, yeah. So, you know, Twitter, uh, Discord, right? Email, just uh, would love to hear any any thoughts uh, as, you know, as our audience, you know, who we make this show for, right? Like, what what direction would you like us to go with those segments? Um, what What is it that's, you know, important to you as the audience? All right. Well, on that note, I suppose it's a good time to drop our Twitters. <laughs> so you can tweet at me at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Asian at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPT Cast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. And before we wrap up, we want to take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Speaking of subscription models, <laughs> your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show once again every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are talking about weddings. Oh, those usually get paired with, uh, you know, two other weddings and a funeral, right? Yes. Yes. All right. In the Character Creation Forge, we're building everybody's type. Well, that's it for episode 336 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.